If you were not with us last Sunday, we began looking at a passage in the book of 1 Corinthians that is really a transitional passage. And the transition that is being made is one from which the Apostle Paul is addressing a series of problems that have arisen within the church at Corinth. And he's addressed those. But then, as we move into the seventh chapter, this change that takes place is that there were specific questions that the believers at Corinth had written to the Apostle Paul concerning, and he is now in the process of answering those. In this seventh chapter, he begins to deal with the issue related to the marriage relationship, and we're going to be getting into that in some more detail today. But then he goes on to answer questions about personal liberty and the freedom that believers have in the person of Christ. He's going to go into a great deal of detail related to that. He talks to us about worship and what it really means to worship and what what is involved in that entire uh, interaction that we have with the Lord. And, And he deals with that in detail. Then he's going to talk to us about spiritual gifts and the capabilities that he places within each one of his children to do specific spiritual ministries for the glory of his name. He then goes into an entire chapter related to the resurrection so that we have an understanding of what the future holds for us as followers of Christ and what is going to happen in the days ahead regarding the fact that Christ, as the first fruits of those who died and rose again never to die again, he was the first of those, we then will follow in that likeness and the Lord talks to us about what that involves. And then in the latter part of the the book, he deals with the issues related to giving, and he gives us some of the principles related there. So now we understand that there is a, a, a bit of a change in tone, there is a change in direction, and there's now going to be this process of dealing with questions. The first question that arises is one related to the marriage relationship. And if we could summarize it this way, perhaps we would, we would put the question like this. Is marriage right for me? Now, that automatically might cause some of you to think, okay, well now if, if this passage is dealing with single individuals and we're dealing with whether or not marriage is right for them, this really is not related to my relationship with my mate. And, and obviously that's not true. He is dealing with the the matter specifically for single people who thought perhaps they were out of God's will in remaining single because of several things that we talked about last week. The, The directives given in Genesis, for this cause shall a man leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife, the two shall become one flesh. That almost appears as if that's a general principle for everyone. Well, Paul is going to set the record straight and say this, not everyone is going to get married. There are those who will, most of whom would be those who will, and there are those who won't. And so he begins to build principles that we can evaluate, and then he takes us into the realm of the marriage relationship itself and causes those of us who are married to begin to evaluate whether or not we are following the Lord's plan and his purpose and his intent for the marriage relationship. Not everything related to marriage is taught in this chapter, but a good deal is. The first issue that arises when a person asks the question, is it right for me to marry? 
Paul addresses with another question. Have you been given the gift of singleness? And somebody immediately might say, do you mean being single is a gift? Well, yes, it is. But I would also tell you this, being married is a gift as well. How do we know? Once again, I draw your attention back to the seventh verse of this. Pardon me, I didn't even get you there yet, did I? First Corinthians 7. Okay, you're, you're there? Okay. First Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7. For I wish that all men were even as I myself, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. And so what Paul is telling us here is that the Spirit of God has directed him to write this response. If you have been gifted to remain single, remain single. If you have been gifted to be married, be married. Because if you try to remain single when you've been gifted to be married, it is going to be a disaster. And vice versa. If you are gifted to be single and you choose to get married anyway, it's going to be disastrous. But if we follow his purpose and his plan, then we begin to experience that which he has designed for us personally and individually. How do I know? How do I know for which one I'm gifted? Well, he raises a couple questions. He, he causes us to ask this. Am I able to remain pure? Or are the pressures of physical attraction so great that I, I really can't control myself without having an appropriate outlet for that attraction? Look with me again, if you will, please. To uh, down here to verse 7, or, or pardon me, uh, not verse 7. Let me just double check here. I want to be sure I have the correct verses. Chapter, or verse 2. Nevertheless, because of sec sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. Also, if you look down at verse 9, but if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So now the Lord is starting to give us some clarification on what it means to have this gift. The first is the capability to remain pure. The second is this, in which state do I find myself more effectively serving the Lord? And as you look down at verse 8, it says, But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain, uh, remain even as I am. We had determined that Paul is writing here from the context of being single. Whether or not he had ever been married is unknown. The, the likelihood is probable. Did his wife die? Perhaps. Did his wife leave him because of his call to the gospel ministry? Perhaps. We don't have that information. But what we do know is at this point he is single. And later in this chapter, he talks about the increased capability that a person in his situation has of serving the Lord because of their singleness. That is not always what the Lord intends for everyone. And so we're reminded, which one are you gifted for? Singleness or Marriage, and he leaves within the hands of the individual the, the responsibility to make that determination. The second principle that he raises is this. Do you see marriage as a holy calling? And this really becomes a very practical issue because sometimes 
People feel so pressured to to get married. Maybe it's because of society. Maybe it's because of family. Maybe it's because of any variety of different things. The individual chooses to marry, but they don't choose a mate who is designed or has arrived at a place where they will be a spiritual benefit for them. Now listen, I'm trying to say this real nicely, but here's really what the issue comes down to. Some people are so anxious to get married that they will take anybody, practically, regardless of where that person stands spiritually. And then they find out that after they're married, rather than the mate being an enhancement to their walk with the Lord, the mate begins to draw them further and further away from their commitment to Christ. That is a violation of God's purpose for the marriage relationship. Now, let me put the shoe on the other foot. If you're single and you hope to marry someday and God said, I'm going to give you a mate that is comparable to where you are spiritually, what kind of mate would you get? How how many of you parents, uh, this might help explain it a little bit better, how many of you parents prayed maybe before your children were ever born or from the time they were, they were young, that God would give them a godly mate. Okay, all around the auditorium. Eh? The, you're pray- Some of you have little ones right now. Are you praying for your, your little one's mates? Sure. You, you do that and you pray that God will bring a godly person into their life. Well, then, do you know what that implies? That they themselves are godly. Otherwise, they mess up the other person. And God's intent is that in the process of being married, it is an enhancement to the spiritual development of both individuals. And if you are looking to marry an individual who is not going to be a spiritual enhancement, don't marry them. I know, I'm not supposed to say stuff like this, am I? This is why you guys should let me pick your mate. Okay? I know you're not going to, but that's okay. I said it, and there it is. Truth of the matter is, when you go to find a mate, you better find somebody that is going to be spiritually compatible and somebody that is going to help you in your development because marriage is a holy calling. Is there a person that is appropriate and interested for you to marry is another issue. You've got to evaluate the appropriateness of that individual. Or, is the timing right? Paul introduces a concept here that that raises an issue for us, and and it's basically something that has a limitation. And here is what the issue is. There are times in which it is not right to get married. Okay? In the case of what Paul is writing about here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the case at hand is... A present distress. What's he talking about? Well, there, there is probably a degree of persecution that's going on for those who are carrying the name of Christ. In the city of Corinth, the, the pagans are probably giving a really hard time to those who are believers. And the difficulty that comes along with this is that when couples marry, they often have children. And when persecution is coming down on a family, it is very difficult to have to deal with the issues of protecting a child when you yourself may be under a great deal of duress. 
And so Paul is saying this, you know, for the present distress, it would be better not to marry. And I think there's a principle that's involved here. There are times you probably shouldn't get married. Now, I know this is probably going to step on some toes and it's probably going to get people upset and you, you know that I don't care. Um, what this means is, have, on occasion, this is good. It'll work. But two young people as freshmen in college meet and they have such a strong desire to be with each other. And they look and they say, the other person has a holy calling just as I have. And yes, all of the issues are right. And they say, we want to get married now. But they don't think through the ramifications of the financial requirements that are going to be necessary, of the issues related to the possibility of children coming along, even though you might plan on that not happening, the Lord has the capability to occasionally surprise you. And things like that take place, and you know what? It might be better under the present conditions not to marry. You don't have a job. You can't afford to pay your own bills but you want to get married. And you figure, mom and dad will take care of me. Now, I'm, gonna, I'm waiting for a lot of amens to come at this part. It isn't mom and dad's responsibility to take care of you and the person you want to be married to. <laughs> now, on the other hand, see, I'm playing both sides of this. On the other hand, there are times when a family can help out the, the children and their mate to see them through a difficult period. I do understand that. And I know that that is an appropriate thing to have happen. But I want to tell you, rather than bury your parents in a living situation that is not great, you put two women under the same roof. Oh, now, you're disagreeing with what I'm saying, aren't you? I, I'm watching Maritza and she's going, no, no. See, two men are going to go separate ways. But two women, they're going to be talking together and stuff and they get on each other's nerves. And after a while, it's not good. And unusual, it's unusual if they do get along. You know, I'm going to move on because this is really taking us far afield. Anyway, having said that, you need to be sure that this is a godly calling. And I mean that in all seriousness. There is a third issue, and that is, will you give yourself unreservedly to your mate? When we look at this, there are several areas in which that is going to affect. One is your body. Look at verses uh, 3 and 4. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Now, this is being written from an ideal point of view. If the husband is what he should be, it is an appropriate thing for him to have control of his wife's body because he will be very, very careful. He will be appropriately directed toward the well-being of his wife in the midst of their intimacy. 
The wife, by the same token, if she is what a wife is supposed to be, there will be the appropriate development of this. Do you all understand that God gave us the regulations and and these principles for marriage so that we would fully enjoy it? He designed marriage. Culture did not design marriage. Culture's ruining it. God designed it the right way, the way it's to be enjoyed, the way that, that it will be productive and it will be fruitful and, and it will be a blessing not only to the two people involved and their children and grandchildren, but it will be a blessing to the people around them as well. And so he says, listen, under, under obedience to the Lord, you give your body to your mate. We spoke about that at length. I will not be going into that in more detail today. The second area is the area of time. God brought two people together to be together. Not to be absent from each other. And I know last week I touched on issues related to uh, jobs that take husbands and wives apart. I think it's a very unwise thing. If your job is going to take you away, don't take the job. Well, Pastor, you don't understand how important it is for me to be able to earn a living. Yeah, I understand how important it is for you to be able to learn a living. I also know how important it is for you to follow the principles of God's Word and trust Him to provide you with the job. But He didn't cause you to get married so you could spend time apart. Same thing goes true for military. If you know you're going to be deployed, don't get married right now. By the way, can't you see the problems that this causes? It's huge problems. The Lord says if you're going to be apart from each other, there are conditions. Look at what those conditions are. Verse 5, do not deprive one another. And he's talking about the intimate relationship in marriage. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time. You both agree it's for a limited time. For a purpose that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and then come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And so the issue of giving yourself completely to your mate in the realm of your physical body, in the realm of your time, and now we move on into the realm of effort. Marriage takes effort. Those of you who are newly married or perhaps hoping to be married one day, if you think that that giddy feeling that that other person produces within you is going to see you through all of the trials and difficulties of life, to put it mildly, that's stupid. You're going to have hard times You're going to have difficulty. There are going to be trials. There are going to be issues that come into life that are going to require you to make effort to be the husband you should be, to be the wife that you should be. And without that commitment to effort, the marriage will fail. That's if big issues come into your life. Without any big issues... It still takes effort. Do you know why? Men and women think differently. Right? Sure. Okay, don't, don't be afraid to say amen to these things. 
These are things you know. You think differently. My, my wife and I think very differently. I will get news about something. Um, let, let's just use this as an example because I don't want to make anybody think that I'm going to reveal anything that you've counseled with me about. <laughs> I don't do that. I hear that the Heat lost the last game they played. Okay? All right. I might know the score. I think it was 101 to 91. But as far as any details and stuff like that, if I say to my wife, hey, hon, the Heat lost their game two nights ago, and and let's pretend it just happened last night. Heat lost their, their game last night. Well, how many points did Wade have? I don't know. Well, well, how about LeBron? How, how many points? I don't know. They lost. And now all the little details start coming out. And this happens just about every... Men, am I telling the truth here? Yes. Ladies, you want to know all the details, right? You want all the little pieces to fit into your spaghetti brain. And the men just want to put it... uh, That's not an insult, lady. That means you're able to take all of the thoughts and make them wrap around and they all add to each other where we just isolated the the heat lost. Now it's two games to one. They better win today. Okay? So now this is in our mind. Men and women think differently. Now you can take that and you put that into something that really matters. Okay? And and the games matter. but, But you know what I'm talking about. We... We see things differently. I heard this some time ago that men and women look in the mirror very differently. Men look in the mirror to see what's right. We, we look and we say the hair's in place, the shirt's buttoned, everything else is the way it should be, I'm on my way. Women look in the mirror to see what's wrong. The hair can be absolutely meticulously groomed. The makeup can be put on absolutely perfectly. The garments match beautifully. But the little pin is just off a tiny bit. And the women look and they say, oh, just a minute, I've got to fix this. Guys, it takes effort. (laughs) So you have these differences. You have the way we think, the way we look at things, the way we respond. In the realm of marital intimacy, a wife will love the attention of her husband throughout the day, his kindness, his gentleness, and then the romance, the closeness, just maybe just sitting on the couch together for a while, just enjoying each other closely, sharing feelings, 
And then intimacy follows. The husband, she's breathing. Move on. (laughs) We are just very different. Because we're different, it takes effort. Okay? God has a different purpose for each one of us as well. The husband is to provide spiritual leadership in the home. You know, one of the things that I am very, very thankful to the Lord for is the Lord has provided us with good male leadership in Grace Baptist Church. There are a lot of churches can't find male leaders. You know why they can't find male leaders for the church? Because they can't find male leaders in the home. Men, you are responsible for the spiritual well-being of your family. You are responsible for the spiritual direction of your family. You are the one God is going to hold accountable for that. If you are not providing it, you better start. Wives, under the authority of the husband, are to be a helper. For some reason, and and it's this way with any scripture, things get so twisted and, and so bent out of shape because there is a diabolical enemy that's trying to twist things and the feminist movement says that is a that is a demeaning issue for wives it is not a demeaning issue it is an exaltation of the wife for this reason the word that is used to describe the wife as the helper is the same word that is used to describe God's holy spirit as our helper it is not demeaning It is positional. It is role. And because we have different roles, it's going to take effort. Wives, I I can just hear some of you saying this. My husband is not a spiritual leader. I do everything I know to get him to be the spiritual leader. May I suggest that you do not try to change him. You pray that God changes him. And you continue to submit, even if he's wrong. I will be glad to explain that further, if necessary. And husbands, if you're just too lazy to be the spiritual leader in your home, then pray that God will help you to be energized. Let's move on. There is another principle, the fourth Will you commit to a lifetime or a lifelong relationship? You need to know the rules. What's the rule? God says when a man and woman marry, they marry for life. Do you remember what we read in Matthew? Now I realize that this is, this is interpreted differently by different good followers of Christ. But I do believe that the exception is legitimate in Matthew chapter 19. That the only thing that can legitimately break the marriage relationship is the infidelity of one of the members, and not necessarily on an occasion, but as a pattern of life. 
as an ongoing involvement. Forgiveness is also possible. There are others who believe that abandonment, and we'll be talking about that later, that abandonment involves the the breaking of a marriage and, and so forth. But there are some other principles that need to be considered right now. Here's the rule. You get married, you stay married. For better, for worse. For richer, for poorer. There is a reason we take those vows that the Lord intends for us to keep and people expect for us to keep. What about an abusive husband? Listen, there are always going to be issues that have to be dealt with individually. But the general rule is this. You get married, you stay married, till one or both of you dies. That's the rule. Then there's a regulation. Well, what happens if somebody does get divorced? Look at verse 10. Here comes the regulation, the requirement. Now to the married, I command, yet not I, but the Lord, a wife is not to depart from her husband, but even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and a husband is not to divorce his wife. All right, here comes these requirements. If, if, If the rule is broken... What now are the requirements? When somebody says to me, Pastor, do you think it's all right for me to divorce my mate? Do you know what I actually hear? Nine times out of ten, it's not that they want to divorce their mate. It's that they want to marry somebody else. And divorce is the way out, in their thinking, to marry somebody else. No, no, no. If you get divorced, you stay unmarried. And if you say, well, I can't, I can't remain unmarried. I, I don't have the gift of singleness. Here it comes. Be reconciled. Get back together. By the way, I know families that have done that. And it has worked beautifully. In disobedience, divorced, confessed sin, remarried, profitable lives for the glory of Christ. If we weren't such a a fleshly driven society, this would be much more acceptable. But today, no, no, things aren't working out so we'll walk away. No, you don't. You don't do that with obedience. And by the way, if you do marry somebody else, you're committing adultery, and and they are too. And that is a very, very serious sin. So, one final principle. Will your marriage present a picture of Jesus Christ and his relationship with the church to the world? Do you understand that the marriage relationship has as one of its primary purposes a demonstration to the unsaved world of what the relationship that Christ has with his church is all about. He as the bridegroom. The church as the bride. Demonstrated through 
the marriage relationship of a husband and wife where the husband takes on the role of the lover. You see, with the church, Christ is the one who gave them a loving relationship. He initiated it. She responded. She being us. The marriage relationship is a love relationship. Love is extended. It is responded to. In the divine, we love Him because He first loved us. In the human, you love me, I love you. Let's show the world what it is for people to know Christ and to be the church married to its heavenly husband. Not only was there a love relationship, but there's an intimacy that is related to this because we are now the body of Christ. He does His work through us. And then, it's a permanent relationship. Do you know what we tell the world every time we break a marriage up? It's as if we're saying to the world, hey, you know what? I think Christ can put us away too. And that is not what the Bible teaches. I want you to listen to something that the Apostle Paul wrote in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, beginning at verse 13. Now listen to this. In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. Do you know what the Lord has promised us? He is never going to put us away. Through better or worse, richer or poorer, Thick or thin, he does not forsake his people. The only way you can show that relationship to the world is by demonstrating it through the relationship you and your mate have, where you do not put each other away, but you stay together and you love each other and you stand together through thick and thin. A lot of good stuff here, right? And do you understand that that brings us all to here? Because Christ gave himself to draw his bride to himself. He sacrificed his body. He shed his blood so that individuals who trust in that sacrifice of Christ have their sins forgiven pass from death into life and become inheritors of an inheritance that doesn't perish, it doesn't spoil, it doesn't fade. We are brought into a relationship where the Lord loves us, He intimately involves Himself with us, and He keeps us until the day of redemption. Good stuff. Good stuff. We can't participate in these elements of the Lord's table without recognizing what it is that Christ has done. And by the way, let me tell you what he hasn't done. He hasn't offered himself as somebody who wants to join your life. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? He hasn't said, let me become part of your life. How many times have you heard people say this? I asked Jesus into my life. Boy, am I glad. No. He doesn't share life with you. He is our life. And we receive Him as our Savior because we're awful sinners. It isn't that He just comes and joins us. It's that He forgives us. And He gives us life. And He gives it abundantly so that through Christ we are demonstrating the love that we should show through the husband-wife relationship. If you say, I want Jesus in my life, you're not ready. But if you can say this, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And I believe that Jesus died to pay the penalty of my sins. And by faith, I accept Him as my Savior. He rose again from the dead so that I could live. I trust Him. I don't trust my church. I don't trust my religious involvements. I don't trust my kindness. I don't trust the things that I'm able to work up in the flesh. None of those are acceptable to God. Only the the acceptable sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And then those of us who have trusted Christ as our Savior, remember Him. We participate and we partake. I would invite those of you who are perhaps guests today, who know Christ as your Savior, to join with us. Because we have a bond in Christ. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, here would be the best thing. Right now, right where you are, by faith, acknowledge your sinfulness. Acknowledge the reality that you need a Savior. And then reach out in faith and accept Jesus Christ. Lord, I trust Christ as my Savior. I receive Him. And I thank You that You've forgiven me and You've given me eternal life right now. And then partake. If you say, I don't want to trust Christ as my Savior, just pass the elements. You have to determine that for yourself. If you know Christ, there's sin in your life that is unconfessed. This is a very serious matter. You need to deal with that. We need to be sure that we are right with God and with each other. And I would encourage you to deal with your sin as we prepare to partake.